Welcome to Inbeta, where we ask the big questions about digital policy and human rights. My name is Charles Bradley, and I'm the Executive Director at Global Partners Digital. We relaunched this podcast as a way of keeping track of developments in the rapidly changing moment and examine ways in which different responses to dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic are having an impact on human rights and digital policy. This week, we're going to be speaking to Ashna Calamera from CEPESA. Fantastic. And it's really exciting to have Ashna um, on the line with us today. Um, Ashna, please introduce yourself for our listeners. Thank you very much, Charles. Uh, it's a pleasure to join this uh, podcast. My name is Ashna Kalamera. I am a program manager at the Collaboration on International ICT Policy for East and Southern Africa, otherwise known as CIPESA. Uh, we're based out of Kampala in Uganda, but work across uh, Sub-Saharan Africa on promoting uh, inclusive ICT policy as an enabler for uh, good governance, realization of human rights, and um, improved livelihoods. Our approach to that is under four, five main thematic areas, uh, including access to information, open data, uh, digital rights, or internet freedom, uh, the multi-stakeholder model of internet governance, um, ICT for civic participation and human rights monitoring, and lastly, and more recently as well, the digital economy. Fantastic. And yeah, a, a really strong partner of, of GPDs, and we're super excited to have you um, on, on the podcast with us. So thanks for joining. Um, yeah, so we've been really impressed with Space's uh, uh, work and, and some of the sort of reports and um, analysis that you've been providing, particularly at this time in um, the COVID-19 um, pandemic. Um, I wondered whether you could just give us a quick sort of overview of what you are seeing in, the, in terms of the, the use of technology to, to fight the spread of, of, of COVID-19. Um, so in across the African continent, we are seeing relatively positive developments with regards to uh, the use of technology in response to COVID-19. Uh, there's been an increased push and a boost of use of uh, technologies, which is very crucial in the sub-Saharan African cont- context because of the vulnerabilities in the healthcare systems, high levels of illiteracy, um, uh, marginalized and vulnerable uh, communities across board, uh, which could affect the responses to the pandemic. So we are seeing an increased push by both state and private sector actors for digital financial services uh, to stem the spread of the disease via cash transactions. So mobile money use has grown tremendously over the past uh, few weeks, uh, including uh, with telecoms waiving uh, transaction fees to enable uh, citizens or subscribers as well as businesses and government continue to function fairly well uh, without uh, cash provisions. Uh, The second positive uh, development we're seeing is around access and affordability, which has been a challenge um, on the continent previously. Uh, with low incomes and illiteracy and unaffordable devices, etc., cetera. Uh, we've seen that the digital divide is quite significant on the continent. But uh, in light of the pandemic, there's been measures taken by telecom service providers to double speeds of internet, reduce 
prices of internet bundles and in some cases provide zero rated services. This obviously is facilitating uh, the digital financial services that I mentioned earlier on, but also e-commerce uh, in light of lockdowns, e-learning also in light of lockdowns and restricted moving, remote working as well. Um, the other positive development we're seeing is increased adoption by the government in use of uh, technology for access to information and uh, citizen duty-bearer engagement. So authorities are increasingly relying on digital platforms and some broadcast uh, services to raise public awareness and engage um, engage citizens on how to curb the, con curb the pandemic, uh, but also report cases and uh, provide emergency services. This is great uh, in terms of obviously efficiency and longer term adoption of technology in otherwise what was analog uh, governments in many of the African countries. Uh, we are also seeing some uh, positive developments in terms of uh, previous restrictions to use of technology. Um, in Ethiopia, for instance, uh, the Oromia region has been faced with a shutdown for an extended period of time. But in light of the pandemic, that shutdown has been lifted. So citizens in that region are now able to enjoy uh, full access to the internet. Um, in Cameroon, we've seen commitments from the telecom service providers that they will um, keep the internet on to support uh, government efforts and measures in curbing the pandemic. This is very crucial in Cameroon because um, the Anglophone region has previously suffered an extended internet shutdown for uh, other political reasons, but these commitments or lifting of uh, internet shutdowns are crucial in terms of enabling citizens' access to information but also ensuring that the information society is um, accessible and available to all citizens. So those are some of the positive uh, developments in terms of technology and COVID-19 that have uh, both facilitated the fight against the pandemic, but also um, increased access and availability of technology as enablers of socioeconomic and political development on the continent. Amazing. Yeah. And there's such a such a positive um, set of examples that you've provided there, both, as you say, sort of directly responding to the to the pandemic for education and other other materials, but also those broader questions around access and affordability, which um, I know that that's been something that that you and other organizations have worked um, a lot, a lot on. Um, so I wonder whether there are other sort of um, uh, sort of more negative trends or other sort of areas of concern that you're seeing, obviously with this increased reliance on the internet um, and digital technology more broadly, um, that there have been around the world sort of certain questions around um, how that's going to be used and, and the accessibility of uh, um, uh, private data and privately identifiable information, etc. Um, I wonder whether you've seen any trends that we should also be sort of wary of and if there are any sort of human rights concerns with those. Um, yes, so unfortunately, the positives notwithstanding, the forces of, if I may use the word, forces of nature still apply in the sense that there's a push and pull. So there are very um, alarming negative trends.
trends that are arising uh, parallel to the positives that I just mentioned. Uh, among them is uh, the spread of false and misleading information. Uh, this was a challenge even before uh, the pandemic, um, but it's, it has proved to be an even bigger challenge now, uh, considering the anxiety and uncertainty and uh, fears amongst uh, citizens, as well as uh, the onslaught of information, both from uh, within the continent's borders and beyond. So there's a big uh, challenge in terms of spread of false and misleading information. And in response to this challenge, um, governments and authorities across the continent are instituting uh, legislative measures that pose a significant threat to freedom of expression. Um, in Kenya, for instance, uh, there's been uh, two prosecutions against um, activists or bloggers who have uh, disseminated information regarding uh, patient zero or the government-confirmed cases of COVID-19. Uh, they've been prosecuted using an existing law, which is the Cyber Crimes Act, but a law that has been challenged uh, through strategic litigation because of its uh, restrictions on freedom of expression. Uh, similarly, in South Africa, a law has been passed specific to the spread of fake news related to uh, COVID-19. Uh, it has very harsh penalties, including a fine and possible imprisonment of both. Um, here in Uganda, the communications regulator, which is the Uganda Communications Commission, has issued directives, uh, directives uh, warning the public and broadcasters against the spread of misinformation and false uh, news. Of course, UCC, which is the Uganda Communications Commission, has a history of... Uh, of being heavy-handed on uh, media and telecommunications, um, sometimes being partial and uh, instituting fines and other punitive measures uh, against um, those who contravene its directives. So um, the threat against freedom of expression on of freedom of expression on the continent remains live, and uh, the pandemic has probably um, increased that live. The, the, the liveness of the issue. Uh, the second trend uh, with regards to technology and COVID-19 from a human rights perspective is a uh, threat to privacy. The disease surveillance measures being employed by um, governments on the African continent are being deployed in the absence of uh, data protection frameworks. Uh, many countries on the continent don't have uh, legislation specific to data protection and privacy. Those that do have such legislation, which are 28 out of the 54, have over the years recorded challenges in implementation, including enforcement, uh, oversight, as well as redress mechanism. Uh, one of the last trends that we're seeing, uh, which is, um, raises human rights concerns, is exclusion. Earlier on, I mentioned the digital, digital divide um, as uh, something that uh, the response measures has attempted to overcome through availability of, uh, of subsidized or reduced price bundles and zero rated services. However, um, a couple of other uh, marginalized groups, such as persons with disabilities, have remained excluded even in the use of technology to fight the pandemic. 
So access to information or awareness raising and any other um, services or or engagements via digital platforms in response to um, COVID-19 remain inaccessible to individuals with visual or hearing impairment, as well as those that are illiterate in some cases because of uh, language restrictions. Of course, many of these countries have laws that require that um, accessibility is maintained for services and information for uh, persons with disability, including visual and hearing impairment. But again, just like the data protection framework gaps, uh, similar gaps are being recorded there. So um, there's a huge concern around the pandemic further extending uh, exclusion for marginalized groups such as persons with disabilities and the illiterate. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's such an important part of of the the debate right now, which is often sort of overlooked. And one where you can see a lot of the positives that you mentioned earlier, um, sort of exasperating some of those differences and those gaps, which um, will only sort of um, create a longer term impact uh, for individuals and, and uh, communities who are already um, disconnected or, or who don't have access um, to those services or, or the Internet. Um, so I think in, in, in sort of bringing this all together, I wonder whether there are ways in which um, others who are interested in this topic or, you know, are working on this area um, may be able to engage with Sapesa on it. Um, or, or if there are other sort of mechanisms or initiatives that you'd like to sort of highlight for our listeners um, who may be interested in you know, actively engaging in this conversation? Um, yes, it's been uh, very interesting to note that civil society, uh, since the outbreak of the pandemic, there's been a huge number, of, a, a significant number of digital rights organizations such as ourselves, such as global partners, that have taken a keen interest in the issues of misinformation, censorship and surveillance with regards to technology and COVID-19. Of course, uh, the scenario is ripe for digital rights advocacy in ways in which many citizens can identify with, i.e. what does privacy digital, privacy online mean in the context of contact tracing, for instance, as part of this, this is surveillance. So the current situation is ripe for engagements around digital rights issues, and it's been good to see uh, organizations such as ourselves, as global partners, uh, taking keen interest in documenting and raising awareness and engaging on uh, some of the issues that have um, arose. Unfortunately, the situation in itself uh, also prevents significant challenges to such work, um, sustainability of the work, um, credibility of research, considering it's an unprecedented situation, and even support for advocacy or uh, the impacts of advocacy, considering that, you know, we are engaging via remote working environments. We no longer have opportunities to interface, for instance, with policymakers like we did in the past. Uh, the laws and measures that are being passed are not necessarily being done in a consultative manner, considering it's, uh, it's an emergency situation. So uh, for civil society actors like ourselves, the situation is both positive and negative in that regard. Uh, but specifically at CIPESA, we feel that it's uh, imperative to support any research and documentation, as well as advocacy efforts specific to um, COVID-19, because uh, it is going to set precedent in terms of responsive actions by state and non-state actors on the continent 
during the pandemic and beyond. Uh, yet it is also an opportunity to um, to ensure that any learnings from the pandemic and the role of technology within are used beyond to ensure that um, citizens have trust in data-based initiatives, for instance, or that the appetite for civic participation is not undermined by threats to freedom of expression or freedom of assembly and association. Absolutely. So speaking to yeah, track and share as much information as we can, and we welcome uh, any efforts by like-minded organizations to do so. We are also hoping to support uh, small organizations or initiatives that are doing uh, work on the grassroots, but may not have the institutional capacity to uh, be able to carry on doing that great work, considering restrictions to movements and the like. So we're hoping to support uh, such initiatives through our Africa Digital Rights Fund by providing uh, emergency funding to ensure sustainability of some of the efforts. Um, in partnership with other civil society organizations, we're also uh, engaging some of the stakeholders through statements and open letters uh, to ensure that, for instance, um, restrictions on access to information on the internet are lifted, be it the shutdowns, as was the case in Ethiopia, but also taxation, which is still in force here in Uganda, um, and also pushing for more robust safeguards and transparency and accountability around uh, the disease surveillance with regards to data protection and disclosure by telecos and other entities. So uh, we feel that it, uh, navigating the balance between, for instance, disease surveillance and human rights uh, should be a collaborative effort uh, with multiple disciplines involved and uh, synergies to ensure that this pandemic and the role that technology ultimately plays uh, provides uh, learning ground for future future um, interventions or design, be it for policy or practice related to the use of technology in emergency situations or the use of technology for public good. Absolutely. Amazing. And yeah, really great to have all those different initiatives laid out. And, and again, the sort of the shout out to that fantastic fund that Supesa have and, and the work you're doing to support um, grassroots organisations. So um, just for me to say thank you so much, Ashna, for joining us on the show and bringing all of that to life. And that we'll make sure that connected to the to the podcast is are those links that people can go to the Supesa website and follow the great Twitter th um, thread that you've created um, around around the issue and encourage people to engage directly with you um, and other colleagues um, on this um, on this issue. So thanks so much, Ashna. Thank you too, Charles. A pleasure sharing and uh, as always, a pleasure learning even from global partners as well and experiences of technology and COVID-19 in uh, Europe and, and the rest of the continent. Great. Thank you. It's always fantastic to hear from Ashna and the team at Sapesa. Well, as with every week, we wanted to share some of the important things that we've been reading and finding interesting for our work here at GPD. The UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Opinion and Expression, David Kay, has published his final report to the UN Human Rights Council. With his mandate concluding this summer, this last intervention focuses on the ways that the pandemic and government responses to it are impacting freedom of expression highlighting five key challenges. It's definitely worth a read. 
ICT for Peace have published a new paper by Harvard Law School's Beatrice Botero-Arcilla, which outlines a human-centric framework for evaluating the risks associated with contact tracing apps. And finally, an important intervention by Emma Lanso and Susan Benish in Open Democracy, which highlights the risks of tech companies using algorithms to moderate content. All of the reports and material mentioned on this podcast will be available as links next to the podcast. And we'd also like to shout out to the GPD Digest, which is available monthly, and there's a link to subscribe um, connected to the podcast as well. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Please join us again next week where we'll be diving more into the human rights implications of COVID-19 pandemic. Until then, goodbye.